Uh, we're going to kick off a new series today that's already up on the screen. It's everybody's favorite topic in the whole wide world, right? It is love and money that we are talking about this next four weeks. Um, I have a mentor of mine who's like had some pastor friends in his life, and he just tells me a couple weeks ago we we're hanging out. He's like, "You're starting a series on money." He's like, "How you how you doing with that?" He gets a little nervous on my behalf, right? Uh, because it's kind of this taboo subject in church, right? And I, I get why that is, but he was saying, man, I have, I've had some pastor friends in my life, they, they dreaded, the elders would make them talk about money or they'd have to talk about money once, twice a year, and they just hated that time. And that's honestly not my disposition. I, I, I want you guys to know, I just, a quick poll in the room. How many of you are new to our church within the last year? Could you just raise your hand real quick? Man, so God bless you guys. That's amazing. Ton of hands in this service. That's awesome. Welcome, welcome. Um, I just, I want, I want you to know that you are stepping into, we as a church, you are stepping into a culture of generosity. And so what that, what that really means is you are sitting next to some people that are just wired for being generous in the kingdom of God. I, I was, I was talking with this guy in the Verizon store before Christmas and, uh, he, he was like, oh, you're a pastor, right? We have to do this whole thing and it gets all awkward, right? And he's like, oh, you work at a church. He's like, this might be a weird question. Like, how do y'all, like, where does the money come from? He's like, is it a, is it a government thing? Is it, is it this? Is it that? And I'm like, listen, no, like the people of the church give and the people next to you give. Like th- this church is wired towards generosity. We say here that, that generosity is our response as a church. And that's not just some culture statement we try to slap up in front of you every now and then. That is, that is true of the fabric of this church. Um, a couple years back, we had a series that we did called Here to Stay. And in that series, what we did, this was three, four years ago now, we just said, hey, there's, there's a lot of needs that this church has physically. Man, we're, we're grateful our church was paid off. We're debt-free since the 90s. Uh, but then we just had some things that needed updated. And we just put it before the congregation that we, ha- we want to do some renovations in these kids' classrooms. And we want to uh, refresh and update our visuals in here, our audio in here. Put AC in this room. Praise, I'm still praising Jesus about the AC in this room. I know it doesn't make a lot of sense now, but this place is like a brick oven in the summertime, you know? And I was the only one working on Sunday mornings with just like, uh, with, you know, just, it was hot. It was hot, hot. And... Uh, Man, we like, we put all these needs in front of you guys, in front of this church, and we just said, hey, on this Sunday, everything that comes in, it's all going to go to the building. And this church gave $330,000 in a day, in a day. not amazing? Half a million dollars, half a million dollars by the end of that year. And praise God, we've been able to maintain our level of generosity as a church. We've been able to stay financially strong. Giving away 13, 14% of our annual income goes back out of the church, okay? So we're giving all that to local, global missionary partners that we have. And that's an amazing thing. We've been able to invest in the physical space while keeping that as well. And so like the reason, I I just, I know that, I know, I know what you're thinking right now about money. And that's that like, why do we have to talk about this in church? And the first thing that I would say is like, man, you don't understand. A lot of the people here are saying we, we get to talk about this in church because it's a way that is thought about rightly and well here in the people that are sitting next to you. And even if I offend you today, I was, I was listening to a sermon from Pastor Eric Miller over at Grace Community Church, and he, he gave me a shout out in his sermon because he was doing the seven I am statements. He's on the Good Shepherd. And so he was talking about Austin over at Good Shepherd. And I'll just say, Eric Miller, if I offend you today, that, that's an amazing church. He's probably one of the most amazing Bible teachers in this town for real. And uh, this message is going to be true and it's going to be right. But if it's offensive to you, like Eric would love to take care of you and, and hold you and... and <laughs> piece you back together. He's an amazing, amazing guy. Um, The second thing I would say is we have to talk about money every now and then because the Bible talks about money actually a ton. There are 500 verses on faith, 
There are about 500 verses on prayer. Do you know how many verses there are when it, talk, when it comes to money and financial resources? Right around 2,000 verses in the Bible. That's an amazing thing. Someone says something to you 2,000 times. They're trying to get a point across, aren't they? One-tenth of the verses in the New Testament have to deal with financial resources in some way. Of Jesus' parables, of Jesus' parables now, um, 16 out of his 38 parable, parables deal with money or finances in some kind of way. One quarter of Jesus' teaching overall touches on money in some form or fashion. And so let's just acknowledge like how awkward that would be if my teaching lined up with Jesus' teaching, wouldn't it? Like first Sunday of the month, we're talking about money again. Here we go. Right? But that would be a lot more aligned with how the Bible talks about money. And the reason why and what we'll talk about here today is because money is so intrinsically tied to what goes on in your heart. It's not something, something that just shows up in your bank account or in your expenses. It's something that's revealing a, a nature about who you are. And that's what we're going to talk about today. But before we get there, I want to do some of the legwork because I know like there are just, there are bozo pastors out there talking about money. Can, we, can I say bozo in church? Like there's some morons out there talking about money all the time. Like you read, there's an article recently going around about a pastor in Denver who scammed his church in a, in a cryptocurrency scam, scammed them out of $1.3 million. The worst part about the headline, if you read the headline on the New York Times, by the way, so this is public for everyone to see, is that what God told me to do it is his quote. Yeah, and so we get into this spot where we as church leaders or just we as the church, there can be a lot of distrust when it comes to the topic of money. So I want to just address a few of the reasons why we're not doing this series. Okay, I'm not doing this series to bring any shame or condemnation in your life. I want you to hear that. And I want you to hear that from God. God is not trying to heap any sense of shame or condemnation on you as we open up this topic about money. It's kind of easy for us in church to talk about, well, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But then it can be really emotional and damaging when we realize that some of that sin and some of those mistakes are tied directly to our finances. Like I have made stupid financial decisions. Others of you in this room, you have made stupid financial decisions, bad choices when it comes to money. Others of you, it wasn't a bad choice. It was just, it was bad circumstances that happened to you. Man, you just got yourself in a pickle and this bill stacked up and that thing stacked up and the interest was crazy and then this thing happened medically. And I get it. Like money can just get us all out of sorts. And it is tied so deeply to our heart that I want to say on the front end of this, this by in no means is meant to bring shame or condemnation, but rather instead of looking back and get stuck there with the decisions we have made in the past, could we potentially in this series look forward apply some biblical principles when it comes to money in our life? And can we look forward with a renewed sense of hope and a renewed sense of vision for why God has put the money in our life that he's put in our life? That's what I hope we can do. The other thing that you have to know is this series is not about me at all. Uh, this, is, this is silly that I have to say this, and I kind of say it jokingly, but I, some of you are kind of wondering it. I, I have no financial incentive with this series at all. I'm not getting a bonus. There's no, there's no structure of what comes in. Uh, in fact, I have no idea who gives what in this church and it will always stay that way. I'm not looking at receipts. I'm not looking at donations. I'm not looking at that unless you hand me the check, which if you hand me the check, I will keep it folded and I will put it where it needs to go as quickly as possible. Some people do that. I'm like, please don't give it to me. Go give it to Chelsea. I don't want to even touch it. And that's not because I'm fearful in any sort of way, but, but the Bible has a lot to say that if we are to lead in a way where we're leading with partiality, then we stand condemned. So I never want to be partial. And that, that, that confidentiality, that, that keeps me impartial in the way that I lead. And so I don't, I don't know who gives what. I'm not tied to the results of this series in any sort of way. We're governed and structured in a way that if you want to go take the next steps classes, you'll learn about this. Um, I, don't, I don't really have a say in touching the money without the oversight of a board. 
And so I'm not, I'm not like looking at a week's amount of money that comes in and going like, all right, what are we going to do this week? You know, I need a new car or something like that. That's just not how it works. Like my salary is set by another board. They determine what comes home into my bank account. They set up some of the other staff salary here. Like there's a board that oversees and directs the finances of this church. Now I'm responsible for helping steward it well, helping stay on budget well, but that it's not up to me to just direct it any way that I so please. And you should know that. That's not how it works here. And the third thing that I want you to know is this is not, this is not coming out of the church's need either. It's not coming out of like our need uh, to have a better P&L statement at the end of the year as a church, as a 501c3. Like I'm not trying to, to pad the stats or inflate the numbers in any sort of way. Th- this church is positioned so beautifully financially, it blows my mind. I mean, we've spent over a million dollars investing in the building over the last few years, and, and there's still cash set aside. And, there's still, and we still are maintaining this level of generosity towards other ministries, and we're, we're, we're taking care of things really well, and everything's been up and to the right financially, and it's an amazing thing. And that, again, that's on us as a church, not on me. Like, that's a beautiful, beautiful thing that God has wired into the generosity here as a church. And so we're not doing this, we're not doing this to collect an offering at the end of these four weeks. You should know that on the front end. Like, we're not going to pass a plate around. People come in here, they're new, and they're like, hey, you guys don't pass a plate. Like, how do I give here? And I'm like, if you work hard enough, you'll figure it out. (laughs) We just, we don't pass a plate. I've been the guy who's been new to church, and I've been the guy who's like, the plate comes my way, and I don't put anything in it, and I pass it along, and I'm like, I tithe once a month. Like, I don't need to put something in here every week. You know what I mean? I've also been the guy who's been like, yes, that's right. I'm putting the check in here. Here you go. You putting something in? Like money just has all these weird emotions attached to it, doesn't it? And, and the Bible says that we want to be cheerful givers, not giving under compulsion. So we don't pass a plate. And there will be no offering that's attached to this series. This, like, that's not what we're doing here. What we're trying to do is we're trying to root ourselves in God's vision for money. And I hope that it has something in it for everyone. There's going to be practical help. There's going to be vision. There's going to be guidance and direction on how we use our resources for the glory of God. Because that's why we have money ultimately, at the end of the day. The story we're going to be in, the, the, parable, or the, the message we're going to be in today is in Matthew chapter 6. And so if you have your Bible, you can open it up to Matthew chapter 6. Um, this is in Jesus' more famous teaching of the Sermon on the Mount, okay? There's a whole section here where he talks about money. But before we read it, just a little bit of like my personal background that I think will help us today. I, uh, I was never really an A student. Anyone else just with me? Just kind of rode the C's, get the degrees, train all the way through. Like kindergarten through college, man. That was just kind of where I lived. Um, and you know, I was the guy, every single parent-teacher conference, the, the parents are sitting down across from my parents. They're like, Austin's smart. He's got friends, but he just doesn't try as hard as he could. And I'm sitting there going like, it's the same story, new year. You know what I mean? Like this is, you are in a long line of teachers telling my parents that very same message, right? Kids, I'm not encouraging you right now, right? Teachers just like, he likes to talk a lot, which I think surprises nobody in this room. He's got friends, but man, when it comes to homework, he's just not, he's not getting everything done. And uh, I chose a degree in college over at CSU uh, in health and exercise science, which my friends like to razz me a little bit. They're like, you basically got a degree in PE. <laughs> and I'd love to argue with them, but they're basically right. Um, <laughs> I liked sports growing up through high school. I, I chose the degree that had sports attached to it, turns out, in college, right? Um, one of my favorite classes, though, towards my, like, my senior year, uh, you start to get into kind of like the more specific and nuanced classes. I took a class uh, called cardiopulmonary physiology. 
which you're like, Hi, how did you even say that? You just talked about how not smart you were. That was my favorite class um, that really just talked about the circulatory system and how the heart functions and how, how it all is arranged anatomically and how it all fits together and how, how the different compounds and things that you put into your body, how it all makes an impact on how it works, right? And I think if you were to peel back the layers a little bit, I really liked that class because it was so, uh, it was so easy to grasp for me. Like my dad's a plumber, right? And so I just, I like when things are linear and they make sense. And it's like this pressure goes up and this valve opens and then this pressure goes down and this valve closes. And then you just have an electrical current that moves down this way and it opens the, it, it pulls these atrium together and then it opens up the ventricles and then they go out. And it's just like, it made sense to me. It wasn't like English class, so subjective. You could have any answer you wanted to in a, in a five page paper. And it's ironic now that I write papers every single week and have to present them to you all. Uh, but like, I just like things that mechanically made sense, you know? And, and when I was, after college, I, I did a, a short stint doing a cardiac research. We were implementing cardiac research trials out at Medical Center of the Rockies, MCR, here in town, right? And uh, learned there, you know, there's lots of different cardiac ways that they assess cardiac health. There's an EKG, right? Probably had an EKG before. They strap all the leads on, and really they're measuring the electrical activity of your heart, right? And then it, a little more in, invasive, a little more clear picture of what's going on in your heart with that would be an echocardiogram, basically just an ultrasound of your heart. You can see what direction the blood's flowing and stuff like that. But then there's, then there's a cardiac MRI. And this, before you get to a procedure where they actually go on the inside, a cardiac MRI would be the most robust, clear picture of what's happening in your heart. And I just find it so fascinating. You can see what kind of blockages are going on in any vessels that are feeding the heart to predict a sign of a heart attack. You can see how the blood's moving through the four chambers of the heart and see if you have any different holes or if the septum's off in any sort of way. And what I, what I, why I think this matters is because what the Bible's going to teach us over and over again is that money is one of the best ways to MRI your heart to see how healthy it really is. I, I, you, can, you can argue with me all you want. There's, really, there's two things that come out of you externally that give you a great indication of what's happening internally. And it's the way you speak and it's the way you spend your money. The Bible's gonna remind us of this all the time, that, that if you want to really assess the health of your heart, if you really wanna assess how, like what you're about and what you're for and what you're worshiping, you have to look no further than your pocketbook. Look no further than your bank statements. It's gonna tell you where you worship. It's gonna tell you what you love. And so with that, let's turn to Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 19. Jesus is speaking. He says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, the, your body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the, uh, the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You cannot serve both God and money. So I just want to walk through this passage, pulling out a few points, and then uh, ultimately we're going to steer towards some response time to let the Holy Spirit speak to you, because I'm not trying to incite anything in you, but I think that God might try to lead us in a kind of way, not just for today, but for these four weeks. The first thing that Jesus says is, don't lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, but instead lay up for yourselves treasures where, where nothing can touch it. And I think we can so often miss this in Christian circles that Jesus's first command here is to 
lay up for yourself treasure. Okay, so God is not anti-money. God's not against money. Money in and of itself is not moral. I hear people all the time will say things like, well, you know, the Bible says money's the root of all evil. I'm like, that's not what the Bible says. You should read it from now on. Um, the Bible says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Money in and of itself is just a tool. It's just a tool. It's just something. It is amoral in your life. It has no really moral value in, in and of itself, but you can fall in love with it. You can give your life over to it. And the first thing that Jesus says is, hey, don't invest in here on this earth in temporary things where it can get destroyed. Even Solomon in all his wealth writes in Ecclesiastes, you have somebody coming up in your family tree that's going to ruin your wealth. Solomon, like, we can learn a lesson from Solomon because he has more money than any of us will ever have, ever have. Like the dude, the dude slaughtered like herds of cows for parties. He planted forests, right? Like that's just, he's living on a different level than every single person in this room. And yet what was his conclusion in Ecclesiastes? It's meaningless apart from God. It's meaningless. It's worthless. All of it, like you can't find an end to it. But the command from Jesus here is to lay up for yourself a treasure where it's going to be, where it's going to have good safekeeping, basically. He's, there, there's such a fine line here when you get into this preaching and this teaching of this topic where, like, this is not going to be prosperity teaching. Not, it's not this kind of, like, exchange with God where if you sow into the kingdom, then God's going to financially bless you back. God is not a vending machine. He's not a slot machine. We're not giving him money in hopes for some hundredfold return, but we are investing in the kingdom, trusting that he's going to do something with it, and we're going to see a reward someday. Like the things you do on this earth are not detached from the rewards that you will see in eternity. And that's an amazing thing. Jesus' command here is to lay up for yourselves treasure. And so, like, I just think that sometimes you hang around in Christian circles enough, and people will treat wealthy people as bad or evil. And they take verses out of context. They say, well, you know, it's harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven than it is for a camel to enter the eye of a needle. It's like, that's a verse, but do you know what it means? We'll talk about it more in a couple weeks. Like, we shouldn't be afraid of money. We just have to make sure our heart stays pure with it. Tim Keller says it this way, money flows effortlessly to that which is its God. So what you love, you will worship. What you love, you will worship. An, an easy activity for this is for you to just inventory some of your expenses over the last few months and ask yourself, where did it go? Where did it go? Did it show up in the kingdom is the question that you can also go ask yourself. Did it show up in the kingdom of God somehow or did I just spend it all towards myself? These are questions that you can ask yourself. That's the first thing that I noticed is that God's command is to actually invest your money in the kingdom and he's not against us having resource. He just wants to make sure we use it the right way. The second thing that we see in verse 22 says the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. Now this is, it's kind of interesting because above this is about money, below this is about money. And then it feels like Jesus goes all anatomy and physiology on us here. Are you talking about the eye? And what, what this would have been understood as in ancient Near East culture, the eye is the worldview that you have that informs the rest of your beliefs. And so what Jesus is saying here, I think we can look back at one of Solomon's Proverbs and we can get some better understanding here. Proverbs eleven twenty four. I like the way that Eugene Peterson writes it in the message version. The world of the generous gets larger and larger, but the world of the stingy, smaller and smaller. The one who blesses others is abundantly blessed. Those who help others are helped. 
Curses on those who drive a hard bargain. Blessings on all who play fair and square. The world of the generous gets larger and larger. The reason that Jesus is critiquing the eye is because there are some people that see things with this scarcity mindset. They never have enough. God's never given them enough. God's, they're always wanting just a little bit more. They're always w- wishing they had just a little bit beyond what they have currently. But, but Jesus's invitation is to have, this, uh, to have this abundance mindset, not a scarcity mindset. Again, this, this isn't prosperity teaching because we're not just looking for financial return. But I promise you the biblical principle is to look at the world and say, God has lavished himself out. He has been generous in so many different ways. He's generous in his beauty. Golly, we look at those like mountain scenes during worship, right? And I'm just like, God is so awesome. Like he just opened his mouth and these mountains fell out and these sunsets were made and the stars are arranged in the sky. He just did it. Like life did not have to be beautiful, but he wired beauty into it because he's generous. Flavors didn't have to exist the way they did. God could have made everything taste like brown rice and vegetables, but praise God, like skirt steak and lime and salsa on a tortilla. Do you know what I'm saying? Like he, he, didn't, he didn't hold things back. Ephesians chapter one says he has lavished his grace on us. Aren't you thankful he doesn't just give us the right measure of grace just to atone for just the specific things, but instead he's abundant with his grace. There's plenty in the world. And I know that like we, we, we kick back on this teaching a little bit because we think that we don't have enough. But, but if you were to be really honest about your financial situation, you have what you need. God has taken care of you. He's providing for you. And actually, if you were to really cut back in your finances, he's given you enough so that you could help somebody else as well. And that's an amazing thing. So the eye, the eye is this lamp into the body and it's, it's revealing, it's bringing light into your whole life. And so Jesus is saying, if, if your eye is bad, that which is meant to light up your body is gonna cast darkness in your body. Your whole life is gonna get flipped, turned upside down if you have the wrong worldview when it comes to economics. It's gonna constantly be a source of pain. It's gonna constantly be a source of frustration. And hopefully what God will help us see is the world of the generous here from Proverbs gets larger and larger. I wanna be a generous man. I wanna have a plan for generosity in my life. I wanna be wired towards giving, not taking. If you look at the early church, one of the things that marked their behavior was radical generosity. You, you, can't, like, you can't follow like, the, the early church and go, well, okay, so did they, did they exactly tithe? You're not gonna find a verse for that. But what you are gonna see demonstration of is over and above generosity. You see this in Acts chapter two. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship the breaking of bread and the prayers and awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. But it keeps going to say, and all who believed were together and had all things in common and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Now, when somebody's forcing that upon you, when someone's forcing you to sell stuff and give it to somebody else, that's called socialism, okay? And that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches instead radical generosity where it's not somebody forcing me to sell my stuff and to give it away, but rather I am inwardly stirred because of what God has done to say, this possession, this thing that I have, not as important as your livelihood. And so that, gone. My Xbox, gone. My car, gone. I'm getting rid of that and I'm giving it to you. Like, what would that look like if the church was so marked by that level of generosity that people from the outside knew, man, I don't know what they talk about in there. I don't understand the songs they sing, but I'll tell you this, they take care of people when you get into that church. 
I'm so grateful for like our, our helps team. A lot of you don't even know uh, about our helps team. We have an interior team that, that takes care of other people's financial requests as best as they possibly can. People, you can donate to the helps team. You can give to the helps team. And then anyone in this room could fill out a helps request if you're in a financial jam. And, you can, and yeah, you're gonna have to be kind of honest with what's going on financially. And they're gonna try to make a decision that blesses you and that helps you out of a financial jam. Like, I, I love this ministry, but I think it's such a small slice of the New Testament picture of generosity. Like, there should be a willingness to let go of possessions. That's what you see here. In order to help meet somebody else's needs, regardless of the motives or the circumstances that put them into that pickle financially. You just go, listen, the Spirit of God has compelled me. I just want to be blessing you and be generous right now. And so we see that. We see that, like, what stirred the early church was this worldview of abundance. They're not, they're not feeling stingy. They're not holding everything back. They're not worried about what's happening financially. They're just, they're just giving almost recklessly, right? They're just pouring out, giving what to what any need that they see. The last verse here, the last little section, Jesus point blank tells us, no one can serve two masters. You can't serve two masters. You're either gonna hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now that word money in the original language, it's not just finances like paper dollars, it's mammon is the word. And it's this idea of things, material possessions. You cannot be so obsessed with, with finances, resources, material things, possessions, and be obsessed with Jesus. The two do not port together. You are gonna either love one and forsake the other, or you're just, or you're gonna despise one, love the other. And so like the question that it just invites us into is like, where does my heart's allegiance lie? Where do I wanna give at the end of the day? Where do I want to invest at the end of the day? In the, in the newest pair of shoes, the newest vehicle, the newest thing, like, or do I want to have the finances of my life kind of ordered around what God's up to and what he's doing? In so many ways, I know I'm preaching to the choir, but I know that for a lot of us, there, there's gonna be helpful things throughout this series, these next four weeks, where we just look at like some of the practical things we gotta do, some of the vision that we can have for our finances. Because ultimately, the reason why we would do a series like this is because I want us to have pure hearts when it comes to money, and I want us to have biblical vision for how we could leverage our finances for the kingdom of God, right? So the last portion that I want to read is, uh, is the rest of Matthew chapter six. Um, because again, like if you're looking in your Bible, the next kind of chunk here of Jesus' sermon on the Mount is don't be anxious. But again, like those breaks weren't in the original teaching. Jesus didn't like stop. And he said, now for a note on anxiety. Like he was talking about money and then he talked about anxiety. And I think there's a reason for that. We can get so worried, so caught up and so thought-driven about what's happening financially, but Jesus has some things to say right to us. Therefore, I tell you, don't be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? What's the implied answer to that question? Of course you are. If he's taking care of the birds out there in the middle of winter, and it's snowing yesterday, he cares for you so much more. He knows your needs. He knows the things that are on your mind. He cares for you. Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? What's the answer there? You can't. 
In fact, your anxiety is taking away from your lifespan right now. Sorry, I'm not trying to make you more anxious. That's just true. (laughs) Why are you anxious about your clothes? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor they spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, isn't that a statement of God's generosity right there? Like he decorates the grass. Who is this guy? Beautiful flowers popping up. They're here today, they're gone tomorrow, and yet he cares about beauty. He's generous. They're alive today and tomorrow thrown into the oven. Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, don't be anxious, saying, what are we going to eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Listen to this verse right here. Hone back in if if you slipped for a second there. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And so what is, what is Jesus saying here? He's not just saying you got to trust him, although I think the root problem of anxiety is a lack of trust. And if you trust God, that's going to show up in how you direct yourself. You're not going to worry. You're going to choose to be invested in the, the things that God, you know he's going to be taking care of certain things, and you're going to focus on yourself in other places. I'm not worried if I can afford the newest clothes. I'm not worried if I can afford this thing or that thing. I'm going to be focused on, no, Jesus is my provider. He cares for all these other things in the world. He's going to care for me. I know, like, as I'm putting this series together, writing this series out, I'm thinking of a few different audiences that I'm keeping in mind because I know every single one of them are in this room. We have people who are just flat strapped financially. If any of the data is true that's out in the world that is in this church, and there's a large percentage of people who are strapped with consumer debt, who don't have a savings account, and who are barely making it right now. And my hope for this series, again, is not that this would bring shame or condemnation, but that it would be helpful for you. There are biblical principles that can help you in your life. I don't care what your income is. I don't care how much debt you have. There are biblical principles that can help guide you in the right direction. And then I think most of the people in this room, this second camp, we're just somewhere in the middle. We're for sure not balling out like Solomon. And we're not, we're not worried that gas went up by 50 cents, but we're pretty annoyed about it this last week, right? We're, like the inflation, like it doesn't, it's not keeping us from eating food every day, but like golly, the grocery store is way more expensive than it used to be, right? This is where Katie and I fall. And like, man, when we first got married, like, we, we, were, we were broker than broke, all right? It was awesome. Yeah, I, would, I would recommend it 10 out of 10 times. We had no money. We're both in school. Find out we're pregnant a year into school, and we're like, this 500-square-foot apartment is not going to work when you add a child in here, right? Especially when we, like, lived in a part of town where our neighbor was, was smoking things that were drifting over into our apartment, and it was like, it's time to move, babe, you know? I don't know what kind of job I got to get, but we're getting out of here, you know? And, like, Listen, praise God, like we're not, we're not in that spot anymore, but you know what's been true all of our life? We've, we've been tithers. We'll talk more about tithing in, in coming weeks, but like we tithed when we were broke and we're tithing now that we're not so broke. But the crazy thing is about 10% is it always feels substantial, doesn't it? It always feels substantial. And so, man, we, we treat tithing as the baseline of our finances. And over this last year, God's just stirred us. This is totally separate, really, from this series. But he's just stirred us over this last year. Like, we've, we've kept track of every transaction 11 months of the year last year. Every single transaction. We just kept track of it. Where's it going? How much are we spending? We we're living life on a, what's the bad B word right now? The budget, yo. Like, we were on the budget. We we're doing things. We we're keeping track. We kind of fell off in December because it was Christmas. And we were like, listen, we're just going to. We're going to let go and let God a little bit here. You know what I'm saying? 
And it was okay because we, we understood by 11 months in, you understood your patterns of behavior. You know where your mistakes are going to be. You know where you're going to overspend and you can compensate for those things. But like 11 months that's led us, why would we do something like that? It didn't come out of financial need. It didn't come out of this like, oh, we got this weird thing we got to pay off. It, you know what it came from, honestly? It's like at the end of the day, I want to be about the kingdom more than anything else. I want to be so in love with the kingdom of God that I just simply see finances are a tool in my life. Like you can have money, you just don't want to let your money have you. Those are two different things. Money's kind of like water. Like if you just, if you just kind of drop it in your life and if you don't tell it where to go, water's just going to kind of take the path of least resistance in your life. Like it's just going to go wherever it really wants to go and you're going to keep ending up at Chipotle and you're going to keep shopping at Target and you're going to keep doing these things. Like that's just how it's going to go. But man, like, the, the, the problem with the middle class, if I can call it that, is complacency and it's comfort. And we make just enough to kind of care for our own needs and take care of ourselves, but we can lose that intentionality and that razor sharp focus because we have just enough to take care of our needs, right? There's a whole third class of people though. And there's a lot of you sitting in this room right now and, and you're, you're blessed with more than you ever thought you would have. And I hope that for this series, we're not just going to have practical biblical, fun, like, biblical principles. We're not just going to have hopefully some conviction, some direction on how we're using it. But I hope there's some vision for you on how you can invest to make the biggest impact that you could possibly make with your resources. Because that's what it's about, right? If you're, like, I just think we do such a poor job sometimes about making the five talent guy feel bad that he's the five talent guy and not the three talent guy. Like maybe you were blessed with more than you ever thought you would have. And I'm trying to tell you today, don't let that money have you. There are places you can invest it and things you can do with it because money is one of the most practical and tactical ways that you can make an impact in the world around you. And I want to show you some of that vision as we go through this series as well. I want to end with this one quote that uh, I'll give you some context of where it came from because otherwise chemist in Yorkshire is uh, where it shows up and that just doesn't make any sense. Uh, Katie was listening to an Alistair Begg sermon and uh, she was like, you got to use this quote. In, in, your in your sermon, and I was like, you're right, it's too good. It comes from, the only reference I could find is from a home director of the China Inland Mission in the United Kingdom. And I said to myself, what? <laughs> Who is that? But let's throw this quote up there. This guy was also a chemist. He lived in Yorkshire. But listen to the quote. Don't pay attention to where it's from. It doesn't really matter. Nothing offers so practical a test of our love for Christ or for others as does our attitude to money and possessions nor does anything so test our claim to be delivered from this present evil world. The world asks how much we own, but Christ asks how we use it. The world thinks more of getting, Christ speaks more of giving. The world asks what we give, Christ asks how we give. The former thinks of the amount, the latter of the motive. Men ask how much we give, the Bible asks how much we keep. To the unconverted, money is a means of gratification, to the converted, a means of grace. To the one, an opportunity of comfort. To the other, an opportunity of consecration. That is our aim, that we'd be consecrated through this series. We'd be set apart. We'd be thinking of our finances differently than the rest of the world around us. There's no offering attached to it. I'm not after your money, but I promise you that God is consistently after your heart. He is. He wants what's best for you. And that means he's gonna go after your heart in this series. I'd love to respond just in this way to take a few minutes because at the end of the day, like I don't want to manipulate you towards anything genuinely, but I do want to let the Holy Spirit convict you or compel you or direct you as he wants to. Isn't that what we all want for our life? Isn't that what we all want for our life? Yeah. 
And so, you throw this question up. Where does your heart and your treasure lie? I'd love to just leave a few minutes here at the end of the message. And you can kind of think through how you're spending your money, your habits. When money comes up, what do you think? What emotions does that elicit? And bring all of that to the feet of Jesus. Say, Holy Spirit, would you help me make sense of all this? Holy Spirit, we just come before you. And our prayer matches the psalmist. Search us, O God. Know our heart. Test us in this. See if there's anything that's anxious or off in me. We welcome that today, Lord. We know that if you're bringing conviction right now, that you're only convicting us because you love us. And like a child being disciplined, you're trying to steer us back into right direction, into right behavior, into a right heart posture before you. Jesus, I pray for, for those in the room right now who are just, maybe they're just, they're, they feel like they're pressed up against the dirt right now. They feel like they're buried. They feel like they're being smothered. God, I pray that you would encourage them right now. Would you lift up their heart, lift up their soul. God, would this series be a time that's helpful for them? Give us some direction, Lord. Give us some practical steps that we can take to align our finances the way that you'd have us align them. God, for those of us that find ourselves just in awe of what you've done financially in our life, what you've done with the resources in our life, I pray that you would stir us with vision. Give us, give us an idea, give us a, a person, give us a, a ministry, a place that we can just see the value in investing in, God. I pray we do all this under your Spirit's leading. And so Holy Spirit, we welcome you. We thank you for what you're gonna do in this time. I thank you for even right now, just kind of revealing maybe some places where our hearts are off or maybe we're in alignment. Either way, God, I just pray that you'd speak and lead your, your people in this time. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Before you stand and dismiss, I wanna give you a little challenge this week. It's not gonna be easy, but it will be helpful. I think it'd be really, really valuable if you sat down with those who are closest to you in your life. And so if you're married, it's your spouse. If you're single, maybe you have some trusted friends that you can get together with, find some roommates or something like that. If you're, if you're a young person, golly, if you're in your 20s, now is the time to apply biblical principles to your life that will affect you when you're 60. Find your parents, find a trusted adult that you could sit down with. And I would just, I would go through the lines. I'd write down the transactions. I'd see where the money's going. I'd look at the income. I'd look at the expenses. Just do that inventory this week and I think it'll help us as we go through this series, if you have that as a baseline, like where is my money going? Where's it going? If you're not keeping track and if you don't have a plan, it's gonna be really hard to direct it in any kind of way. So that'd be my challenge this week. Like I said, not fun. Nobody loves that budget word, you know what I'm saying? But helpful, oh yeah. Valuable, for sure. For sure valuable. Would you guys stand? If you're comfortable, you can even posture your hands out in front, just like this is a sign that you're eager to receive. Jesus, ultimately, I pray this week, we'd have opportunities and insights of where we could be generous in this world. Would you begin to stir in us a worldview, stir in us a heart like yours, put in us a, a vision and eyes to see the hurting places in this world where we can make an impact financially, where we could... Uh, chase after problems and make a difference in the world where we could give and we could be generous and be selfless. God, would you show us opportunity this week as we go? God, I pray that you would stir us and that would all be driven by your Holy Spirit, not out of our own effort. We're not trying to please you. We're not trying to please somebody else at church. God, ultimately what we're trying to do is we're trying to live our life the way that you have designed us to be. And that's in relationship with you, 
where you have changed us to the core and we're ultimately generous and about the kingdom at the very core of who we are. And so we ask for that in Jesus' name.